my kids are getting too old for me to be walking them back and forth to school, but it's really hard for me to give this up because that time of leaving the house at about 8 o'clock in the morning and taking a 15-minute long walk with them is just one of the richest parts of my day because we've completed all the things we have to get done to get them out the door. And, um, you know, there's this kind of in-between time and we have a chance to just catch up with each other. I'm not asking them what they want for dinner. I'm not asking them if they have clean socks. I'm not telling them to do their homework or to stop fighting with each other. So it's almost this time out of time. And I've had some of the most important talks I've had at all with my kids on the walk back and forth to school. So to prepare myself for the fact that John is going to be 13 years old, and next year if I continue to walk him back and forth to school, people are just really going to start wondering what's wrong with either me or him. I've decided that I'm going to try to make a practice as many days as I can of just at one point in the early evening of saying, you know what, I'm going for a walk and heading out to the park. It's good for me and maybe they'll come with me. And I started this this week, you know what, I'm going for a walk. You want to come with me, John? And off John goes. And it worked. And we had this amazing half hour conversation. And John decided to share with me something I'd heard a rumor of around the house which is that John's not sure that there's a God. And, you know, I'm a hip 21st century kind of priest, so I want to make sure that my kid knows you're allowed to struggle with the presence of God and wonder if there is a God. That's part of being religious is doubt. So I just want to make sure I'm completely available to him in that way. And so, I, you know, I just started asking him. It's like, have you been wondering if there's a God? And John is... He's so, if he's anything, he's very fervent. And he started saying, yeah, because I've been thinking about how people die in airplanes and there's horrible disasters in the world and hurricanes and earthquakes. And you told me about 9-11 that time. And I think if there's all the suffering in the world, how could, you know, how could a God, if there's God, let stuff like that happen? It's too terrible. And then there was this long pause and he said, but then there is all of the stuff in the world and we're walking across the grass in the park. And John says, like, there's trillions of blades of grass here, right? Right. And I was in my science class and they were talking about how everything has billions and billions of atoms in it, right? Like every blade of grass in, every, in the park, even though there's trillions of blades of grass, every single one of them's got like a bazillion atoms. And then the atoms are made up out of molecules. And where does all that come from? And trying to figure out that about the stars and when you start trying to think about how many stars there are in the sky. And we finally came to the conclusion together, sometimes it seems like God is nowhere, but then it's just you can't even begin to fathom anything without God in it because God is so everywhere at the same time. This makes me think about the text from Proverbs today. And Proverbs was personifying wisdom. And when I 
think about the concept of wisdom, I usually as something that is rare and reserved for a special group of people, certainly not me. And so it always seems something that is far beyond my reach. And what Proverbs was saying today is that the truth is wisdom is exactly the opposite of that. What the text in Proverbs says in the beginning is does not wisdom call and does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way. She's at the crossroads. She takes her stand by the gates in front of the town. At the entrance of the portals, she cries out. So the very beginning of this poem has to do with wisdom raising her voice, not someplace far outside of the community of people, but she's at the crossroads. She's at the entrance of the city. She's calling out to everyone who passes by all the time and everywhere. That is wisdom. So what scripture is pointing at is that wisdom is not something and rare, that's rare and far away, but wisdom is as common as the blades of grass that were chattering away at my son about the glory of God, apparently, this month. <coughs> and wisdom is everywhere. And she's always crying out to us. But the problem is sometimes we do not see and sometimes we do not hear, even though wisdom is as common as dirt. And if you haven't started to pick up something here, that personification of wisdom bears a very close family resemblance to Jesus. <coughs> because Jesus doesn't spend his time with the great intellectual minds of first century Palestine. Jesus is with common people everywhere. And Jesus is constantly asking us if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. And when you think about Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, he never talks about the kingdom of God being like climbing Mount Everest. Or the kingdom of God is like seeing Halley's Comet. Or the kingdom of God is like finding a four-leaf clover. The kingdom of God is never something that you have to scale the highest mountain. It's not something that you achieve as this great athletic or intellectual feat to be able to understand. It's not something that's so rare that once in a lifetime you might be able to grasp onto it, the presence of the kingdom of God. It's not something that's impossible to find, like a needle in a haystack. When Jesus tells a parable about the kingdom of God, what does he use? A mustard seed. The kingdom of God's like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a housewife who's sweeping up and finds a coin under her couch. The kingdom of God is like a little bit of yeast that your grandmom is kneading into some flour and, and water to make bread. 
Jesus is constantly talking about how the kingdom of God is the most common, ordinary thing in the world. And he ends these parables often by saying, let those who have ears hear. Let those who have eyes see. In the gospel today, the people gathered around Jesus are being told that he is about to leave them. And I would imagine that they must be terrified because they feel as though in the person of Jesus they have come so close to God and come to understand a meaning in their lives and a sense of freedom and a feeling of forgiveness and compassion and love that has made them able to embrace the stranger and feel that they are much more than just the person that they were before they met Jesus and their lives have become expansive and they've seen how they are connected to people they couldn't possibly have ever felt connected to. So they're upset and scared because he's saying he's going to leave them. And he tells them that they don't have to be afraid because the spirit of truth is being sent to them. And if you think about the Holy Spirit descending upon the community of faith, um, this label, the spirit of truth, apparently can also just as equally be translated the spirit of reality, the spirit of the real world, right? So Jesus is coming to send upon us the spirit of reality. One of the things about the disciples is that they are a very small, select group of people in a very short period of three years of time who have access to the person of Jesus in the world. And if Jesus hadn't sent the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, I would have spent the rest of my life reading this book thinking, gee, it's too bad that I didn't get to be sometime in 30 AD Palestine, so I could have seen Jesus too. He must have been an amazing kind of guy. Instead of having the Spirit, who is the presence of Christ among us in the church, who's accessible to all people in all places at all times, and is also, my brothers and sisters, pretty much as common as dirt and as holy as dirt is at the same time to breathe across us and help us, the spirit of reality, to help us to see the world as it truly is. A whole long time ago, I was taking a walk in the woods with a friend and I was telling her something I thought was really important. I have no memory of what it was. And I kept swatting at these insects. They're flying around in the woods, kind of buggy woods, kept getting in my face and they were big. And suddenly I realized, oh, they're not big mosquitoes, they're dragonflies. That's kind of nice. And I continue talking while I'm swatting at them and my friend suddenly gets this astonished look on her face. And she says, look over there. And I look over at the swamp 
and there are hundreds of dragonflies. And they are flying as though they have an invisible metal rod between them. And they are doing this elaborate, I imagine, courting dance. And every dragonfly is matched with an identical dragonfly. The red ones are doing a dance with the red ones. The green dragonflies are doing a dance with the green dragonflies. The purple with the purple. And there, there's so many of them, besides the fact that it was breathtakingly beautiful, all I could wonder is how can they possibly still see each other and be able to do this dance with their partner dragonfly? It was unbelievable. So two minutes before, I was very caught up in the most important thing, which was what I had to say to my friend, and I was completely missing the presence of holiness in front of me because I was in my own mind and didn't have eyes to see or ears to hear. My parents didn't do this to me. I'm trying not to do this to my kids. I hope you guys, if you have kids, aren't doing that to them. When you sit and you tell your kids, boy, you think you have a tough now? <laughs> Wait till you get out there in the real world. The real world. Have you heard people say this? What's, the, what's out in the real world? What's that threatening? What are we being told? What's, that, what's out there? Doom. Huh? Doom. Doom. The real world's an ugly place, right? What else is it? Dog eat dog, every man, woman, and child for themselves. You gotta earn, you gotta get to the top of the heap. Every, you know, there's losers and there's winners out there in the real world. I think that the spirit of truth, the spirit of reality, the Son of God, and the voice of wisdom all come together today in our lessons and have one thing to say about that. That is a lie. The real world is filled with the holiness of God and a love that is beyond your capacity to even begin to comprehend it. And it's in the commonest of things and the most ordinary people, the glory of God and the presence of Christ. That's the real world. And all of that other stuff is all of our own making. And it's a lie. And our job is to actually try to enter the real world and have eyes to see and ears to hear and allow the spirit of truth, the spirit of reality, to breathe across us the breath of Christ that we might bring the good news of the Father's love to everyone who finds themselves stuck in that fake world that isn't really the world that's the kingdom of God descending here on earth, which is why we all come to church. So brothers and sisters, welcome to the real world. Amen. Amen.